Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi, exploring all things wine with you. Please check out our Facebook page at The Wonderful World of Wine. One of my favorite topics of conversation to, to discuss with people when it comes to wine is French wines. And I know you try to refer back to me when it comes to or to our French wine uh, talks, don't you, Mark? Yes, food and French wine. <laughs> and, and, French bubbly. and bubbly. There's a few. There's a list. There's a list going. <laughs> but we ran across an article from a French website called Frenchly that it purported to be an easy guide to French wine. And, and I always kind of am skeptical when I see blogs and things about easy guide to whatever kinds of wine because there are some things that you can simplify and try to demystify and make less complex, but I don't think that French wine is a really easy one to do that for. So this article gave some basic tips about how to start your uh, journey and your adventure diving into French wines. So we're going to uh, discuss a couple of, of those tips right now. Yeah, and we were joking because they say easy. It's all, it's also a French publication. Nothing, so maybe nothing it's easy is for easy. Them. Uh, and we <laughs> We study French wine, and it's more complicated than people. Right, that's like an easy guide to French cheeses. Well, there are 600 different types of French French cheeses, so <laughs> I don't think it's going to be too easy. Um, but anyway, so easy guide to French wine. And, you know, kind of use this as a little bit of a, of a reference guide for, for your, you know, learning about French wine. So the first one is that place is key. And the wine word that we use to describe the, the taste of a place or the flavor of a place is terroir. And terroir is definitely key in France. So that's why you'll see on most bottles of better French wine, the main information that they're trying to get across to you and the name of the wine itself is going to be the name of the place that it comes from. And I know that we've said this numerous times, but it really is probably the most important thing to understand and wrap your brain around for French wine is that it's the place that matters. And the more you learn about the places, the better consumer, the better buyer you will be because the French expect you to know if they put the place, you should understand the grape. You should understand what this wine tastes like. So that terroir and place also leads to labels and right. understanding French labels. Right. And you can look at a French label and it can all just look like gobbledygook to you because you don't know, is this the producer? Is this the place it comes from? So there, there is some background knowledge that is needed because it's not very intuitive, especially for American consumers where we're not used to these words as opposed to grape varieties, which we are a little bit more familiar with those words. Most people, if they drink wine, even if it's just every once in a while, they recognize the words Pinot Grigio. They recognize the word Chardonnay. They recognize the word Merlot. But you might not recognize the word Vouvray. You might not recognize the word Beaujolais. You know, there are these place names that for French wine drinkers are just second nature to understand. But for consumers who aren't familiar with French wines, it's just, it's all French to me, kind of. And it's good that they highlighted first the place and then second the label. Because if you understand those, like we said, Kim, it's so much value to, to your wine experience. And namely, they talk and say Burgundy. If you just see a white or red Burgundy, you have to know only two key grapes. So if you want a white Burgundy, it's Chardonnay. You want a red Burgundy, it's Pinot 
in a while. And it's actually simple, right? It's, it's two things you have to remember, but they're not going to tell you those grapes on the label. You should know from the region that that's what they grow and that's what the government tells them they must grow. Right. And there are lots of places in France that are allowed to put their name on the bottle as far as the, the place goes as a, a wine growing region or a wine growing village. So there are a lot of names that you can go out there and memorize. But I suggest to people that if you have a particular style of wine that you like, learn a couple of the regions in France that will appear on a bottle that are in the style that you like. So I tell people, all right, if you are a Pinot Grigio drinker and you like those light, crisp whites that are great with seafood and for drinking on a hot day, okay, here are a couple of things that you want to be on the lookout for. And one that comes to mind immediately is Muscadet, which is from the Loire Valley. It's on the Atlantic coast and it is light and dry and crisp and minerally and not sweet. People get confused that it starts with the same letters as Muscat or Moscato and associate it with sweetness. But Muscadet with M-U does not have any sweetness to it too, really, uh, ever. And it's it's light and crisp. So like I tell people, like, all right, if you prefer Sauvignon Blancs, here are a couple of places in France that produce Sauvignon Blanc. Go out and try them. So knowing a few things uh, and a few place names is a good way to, to start learning about French wines too. And I like that you mentioned the white wines, Kim, because they said get familiar with the white. So mm-hmm. I have to ask you, when you think French white, what's the, what's the grape you think of? I know you just mentioned a few, but when someone says, to you, Kim, tell me a French white. What, what are you thinking of? I, You know what? I go to Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah, that's what because, you said. Yeah, because I I mean, part of it is that that is a grape that I like a lot, so I drink it a lot, but there are distinct places in the country that make really good Sauvignon Blanc. So if you see white Bordeaux on a label, that's mostly Sauvignon Blanc in that blend. So I, t- I send people to buy Bordeaux Blanc all the time because I think it's absolutely delicious and not a lot of people know about it. So like if you like New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, here, try this one too. This is from a different place. It's not necessarily going to say it on the label, but if you like that style, give this a try too. I like how you think that way because I think when I think French whites, I think Chardonnay. And I think most I, people do. I yeah. love the Sauvignon Blanc and I think they because they've made, especially in Bordeaux, they've made a lot of corrections to the growing of Sauvignon mm-hmm. Blanc and it changed the profile of the fruit. Yeah. 20 years so, ago, it was a totally different style, but now I think it's much more user-friendly and it's really delicious. So I try to open people's minds to those other less familiar familiar things as often as I can. So let's move on to the reds. They said, learn some reds. And they were talking Beaujolais region for reds and the Cote de Rhone region for reds. And, Bordeaux, I, and with- Bordeaux as well. Like I, I don't think that Bordeaux should be left out, especially as people who enjoy drinking California Cabernets and California Merlots tend to be a lot of people who come in and talk to us about wine. You know, that tends to be top of the list for a lot of people. So uh, knowing a little bit about Bordeaux and knowing that those are also Cabernet Merlot blends. I think that's important for people to see that name on the label and understand what the style of wine in the bottle. But I do agree with the Cotarones and the Beaujolais as well. Like if people understand those three, I think that's a really good place to start. And and we are sort of a miss because we, we're leaving out Burgundy a little bit. I know you did just mention it a second ago, but you know, I, French Burgundy, I think is its own thing. And in order for you to get a really good one that you're going to enjoy, you need to spend some decent money. We're talking starting in the mid-20s, maybe even $30 a bottle for a, for a good bottle. So I think that price point makes it a little bit harder for it to be a, an introductory wine for a lot of people. I like the Gamay and Beaujolais version because I think it's a good starter. If you've never had I French agree. wines, it starts you with some real fruit and light, and then you can move up to the big guys, the Bordeaux, 
flavors and right, and right. It's lighter. It's fruitier. Little... It's almost got like a strawberry jam, fruit punchy flavor to it. It's a good transition wine if you are usually a white wine drinker or a rosé drinker and you want to start kind of getting your feet wet when it comes to reds. Beaujolais is a good place to start that way. I also think back to the Pinots of um, the Pinot Noirs from Burgundy. It's it's a little bit of a, a culture shock. I think if people are used to drinking big fruity California Pinot Noirs that maybe are not 100% Pinot Noir, maybe have a little bit of Syrah blended in there, or a little bit of Zinfandel, you know, something that gives a little bit more muscle and a little bit more fruit and a little bit more weight and structure to it to then transition into French Burgundies, which can be earthy and austere and not full of fruit. You know, they're a little funkier. And I think that it's a, a bit of a hard transition if that's what you think you're getting and you buy a bottle of Burgundy and you open it up and you try it and you're like, Bleh, like, what is this? It's not that it's a bad bottle. It might just be completely not what you were expecting or what you're used to. So I, I do find that the transition from California Pinot Noirs to good French Burgundy can be hard for people. Let's move on to your next favorite thing, Kim, sparkling wine. Yay. So, and I thought this was great. One of the, you know, I good advice, listed, right? Yeah. I love that they listed Cremants on this list. And they're saying explore the Cremants. And Kim, explain to our listeners difference between a French Cremant sparkling and French Champagne. So back to this idea that place is king. Champagne is a place. Champagne is a region in the northern part of France, which a lot of you know. And they produce world-class sparkling wine made in a very specific method. Unless you are buying sparkling wine from Champagne, it shouldn't say Champagne on the label. So nobody else who makes bubbly wine anywhere else is supposed to put Champagne on the label. But there are plenty of people in the rest of France who make really delicious sparkling wines, but they can't call it Champagne. What they do call it, usually, is Cremant. C-R-E-M-A-N-T. There are some other smaller producers in other places that call it something different, but for now, we're just going to concentrate on Cremant. And they're usually made from whatever the local grapes in that area are, made in the same way as Champagne, but you get a nice flavor of that particular place that they come from. They're usually at least half the cost of Champagne. They're delicious. They don't need to wait for a special occasion to drink them. It's still a nice full bubble. It's a really user-friendly wine and much more, much easier on your wallet. Yeah. And I always like to say they look French, they look expensive, but they're not. So great, great gift idea. And the last thing they talked about, Kim, was rosé French wines. Mm -hmm. And we talk about rosé all the time. It's trending, but the real root of rosé comes from Provence, France. Right. And a lot of them are a very light colored rosé. So sometimes we describe it as salmon. Sometimes we describe it as rose petal. They will be light and dry and crisp, almost like you close your eyes and you think you're drinking a white wine. They are meant for early consumption, easy consumption, drinking them at lunchtime if you feel like it on a nice hot summer day. And there are other parts of France that do produce rosés. But overall, it's definitely a style of wine that people should experience. So this article in general, Kim, I thought, you know, tips to understand the French wine, I thought it was good. Good advice. It's yeah. a lot of things we believe in, a lot of things we teach a lot. So I agree with it. Right. It's just, it's all about, I think, learning a few regions in styles that you think you'll enjoy and get those into your memory banks and then start exploring. <laughs> 
You are listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lenzi and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. If you'd like to get more information about Kim, please go to her website at vinitaswineworks.com. If you'd like to get more information about myself, please go to franklinliquors.com. And if you'd like to get more information on our show, please go to Facebook, The Wonderful World of Wine. Next, we want to talk about an article that was in Quartzy, and I, I like that name, Kim, for this <laughs> magazine, right? What do we mean when we say salt in wine or a wine is salt. I thought this was a, a cool topic to explore because it's the one of the five sen- you know, taste senses that we don't talk about an awful lot when it comes to wine. You know, we talk about sweet and we talk about sour and we talk about bitter and we talk about umami. We don't talk about salty. And salty is not usually a term that you find in people's tasting notes, but it seems to be trending right now that when people talk about flavors in wine, they will start, people are starting to use words that have more of a salty connotation. So whether it's minerality or sometimes people will use the the term briny, it brings up this idea of salt. And I don't usually use, you know, salty terminology in my in my wine tasting notes, but maybe I need to expand my mind a little bit when it comes to these flavors. This was one of those things when first started learning wine, they would show you, like you said, Kim, the taste and they'd say salt. We're not going to talk about right. they was, salt yeah, wine. It was, that was always like, there's and no salt in now wine. It's like a lot of the societies are teaching how to detect salinity when you're, when you're tasting wine and in tasting notes, how to say you're detecting at what level you're detecting. And my eyes, I think, were opened up to this when that happened to me where I was at a tasting in a sommelier and he was explaining salinity. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? what is he talking about? And then it, then I was tasting it. So when, it was one of the things he put it in my mind. What were you tasting? I was tasting a saltiness and it had to In what do, wine? I it was know. a white wine <laughs> and it was from... A, like a coastal region. Yeah, okay. So it had actually the ocean spray gets on the grapes and it adds a little bit of salinity to the wine. And it made sense to me. The kind of the light bulb moment went off and I'm like, yeah, now I understand so how. So do you think that was real or do you think he was just putting the idea well, in your mind that, oh, salt spray and blah, 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 blah. And then you were like power of suggestion. And then you were like, oh, well, yeah. Well, yeah, the power of suggestion definitely kicked in. But when I saw where they were grown, it made sense. I mean, you can also get salinity from the soils. But I think, like you said earlier, Kim, it's trending where they're adding that to notes. But I think it's interesting when you see like wine enthusiasts or wine spectator reviews, you never see the salinity talked about. So I think they know consumers or the general wine drinker, you don't want to tell them about this, right? Mm. I'm uh, My take on this is I'm wondering if wine writers are trying to come up with a better way to describe minerality in wine. So minerality is this really touchy term when it comes to wine descriptions because we don't often go around sucking on rocks and yet there are a lot of wine descriptions that will say okay taste and smells like wet stones or is chalky or you know there's all this tasting terminology around minerals and rocks and you know how does water smell and how does this water taste and like that kind of a thing which is really hard to wrap your brains around because it's not something that we ordinarily taste the only rock we do eat is salt. So I'm wondering if this is an evolution of the tasting note as a way to describe what we're all trying to talk about when it comes to minerality. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it is a mineral. And I think they also might be trying to work this into psalms to get it in restaurants mm-hmm. more. So I want to ask you, Kim, when you think of French whites that pair well with oysters, what what's the first thing you think? Muscadet. Muscadet. Mm-hmm. Do you taste salinity in a muscadet? No. 
No, not really. I have really? I have a hard time wow. tasting this briny thing. I really I I smell it more than I taste it. And I will routinely use like rock charms when it comes to my tasting notes, but more for the aromas and less for the flavors. So like I will routinely say that it smells like spring rainstorm or a riverbed or something like that. But I won't really use this salty terminology. The, the one that comes closest for me would be dry sherry. And I think that goes back to that idea that you were talking about with sea spray and stuff like that. There is, for me, something about dry sherry that does give me this idea of, hey, this was aged or made right near an ocean, right near the water, because I get that out of that one. But there's not a whole lot of other ones that I really get this for. And there are a lot of whites from Sardinia, from some of the other islands that people routinely will put in their in their notes that, you know, this has this note of salinity to it. And I maybe I just need to taste more or really look more for it, but I, I don't really get it all that often. We talked in the past a lot about how acidity scares people when you talk about it. I think salty scares people more <laughs> than acidity. Yeah. Would you agree with I, that? I think you're probably right. Like, okay, using the word minerality is one thing. I don't think that's scary. I think it's head scratching for a lot of people, but people understand what salty means. And if you say, okay, this wine has salty overtones, I think they're immediately going to think of pickles and pretzels and not necessarily wine. Do you really want a saltiness in your wine? Yeah, but it's subtle. You know, it's not like it's not going to come across as pickle brine. It's, it's very, very subtle. You kind of have to be looking for it in order to really experience it, I think. And maybe your super tasters, they taste more salinity than we do. Right, maybe. I, I just hope they don't abuse it by... And in this case, what I was mentioning, the psalm, every wine he tasted, he was given it a level because that's the way his society taught him the mm-hmm. way to taste. You had to mention salinity. And, and that's and, like what we do for acidity, right? Like right. I, In my tasting notes, I will always put a level, like how, how acidic is this wine? Is it barely noticeable? Is it wipe your mouth out because it is so tart? I'll always put a level in there. And so, yeah, if this is the, the method that he uses to do all of his tasting notes, then it's just almost like this is another box to check off. Yeah, but I just don't think it's accepted by as many people as they when they're describing in this article. But it might be. So maybe this is the direction that we're going for, for new ideas for our tasting notes. So keep an eye out and you're uh, reading the back of a bottle. Maybe it will start mentioning salinity and a saltiness to your wine. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We're your hosts, Mark Lenzi and Kim Simone. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine or on our own web pages, franklinliquors.com for Mark or vinitaswineworks.com for myself. Great website that we often find some trending articles on is backlabel.com. And they had a great article that posed the question, why is English sparkling wine trying to be like champagne? And I bet some of you are saying, English sparkling wine? There's sparkling wine coming out of England? There is. England actually does make wine. Um, Southern England, and they are producing some really nice sparkling wines that we are really just recently starting to see in the U.S. market. I would say over the last maybe two or three years, we're starting to see some good bubbles coming in from England. But we wanted to talk a little bit about what they were all about and why are they trying to be like champagne? Have you had any English bubbly, Mark? I have, Kim. And yeah, I'm surprised, like you know, well, I guess I'm not surprised that you said a great article about sparkling wine because <laughs> I've never heard you say a bad article about <laughs> this sparkling wine. This is a crummy wine. article about sparkling wine. So why are the English 
producing sparkling wine. They they actually uh, the French actually import thirty million bottles of wine into England. So if I'm a producer in England, I can get a good chunk of that business, right? So I think a mm-hmm. lot of it has to do with they're drinking a lot of sparkling wine. They have the conditions to grow it. They have the climate to grow it. So let's jump into yeah. it, right? I'm glad that you brought up the marketing aspect of it because traditionally, and when when, I, when I'm talking traditionally, I'm talking like hundreds and hundreds of years of tradition of folks in England drinking French wine. Like this is not a new thing. This is like forever and ever. Yeah, but they've, so always is, they've always imported from always, always, always. Um, whether Bordeaux was English or whether it was French or you know when Champagne started to to come about 500 years ago, England has always been one of France's biggest markets. So that tradition of English people being sort of conditioned to be drinking French wines is not a new thing. So when you have this style of wine that is so quintessentially French and that is very, very well known, and now we start seeing their own domestic production of these wines, I, I'm, I'm finding it to be quite fascinating to, to see this new production that then English winemakers are trying to break into their own market and try to oust the French a little bit. And it's interesting you talked about it, Kim. All of the grape growing in England is all on the southern, all on the coast. Right. So it's on the southern coast, um, closer to London. It's a little bit warmer on that side than it is in the northern part of England. And a lot of the climate of this part of England is surprisingly similar to Champagne. So that is one of the reasons why this has become the sparkling wine growing region of the country. It rains, but the soil has good drainage. It's a little bit warmer, like I said, but it's also cool enough that sparkling wine production is is done well here because you can't have it be really hot because then the grapes don't do what they're supposed to do when it comes to making bubbly. So it, it, there seem to be a lot of factors that have all come together to make it a good place. The The soil is slightly different than in Champagne. It's a little more, more clay than chalk, but overall conditions are pretty similar. So they grow the same grapes, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, Pinot Meunier. Meunier, is that how you say Meunier. it? Meunier. Yeah. You're better with the accents. Um, <laughs> so the soil is different, like you mentioned, Kim. So do you feel they're not getting that acidity that they get in the Champagne region? Yeah, that might I be. I mean, that's key for That might sparkling. be an issue. Um, but I think because it's cooler, the grapes are still retaining that acidity. And I'm not saying cooler than Champagne, but kind of cooler overall. You know, nobody thinks that England is a warm climate. But the soil might be less limestone, less chalk, a little bit more clay. Clay tends to produce grapes that are a little bit more muscular, a little more, a little more of a heavier style. That's why things like Merlot grow better in in, in clay. So I think you're going to have slightly different styles because of that soil, but it, you're still going to have grapes that retain good acidity because they're not getting overripe. So they also make it traditionally like the champagne style. It's fermented in the bottle. So they're putting in some winemaking techniques of some quality winemaking techniques mm-hmm. are going into it. Have you tried any recently, Kim? I think the last time I had them was probably six months or a year ago. I've had a few at both tastings and then ones that I've purchased from my my own consumption. And I like them a lot, but they're not inexpensive wines. So most of the ones that I've seen on our U.S. retail shelves are rivaling starter champagne in price. So there aren't too many out there. I don't think I've seen any that are under $25 a bottle retail. So they're not inexpensive. We're not talking Prosecco prices here. You know, we're talking we're talking champagne prices. But for something that is a little bit different, is a new market. And frankly, for going forward over the next, you know, couple of generations, and I'm really looking forward, as 
our climate warms up because of global warming, winemakers and grape growers are going to have to search out new places to grow grapes if we want to continue drinking wine. So this expansion into England for me is not a surprise, but something that I think we're going to see more and more of as the years go by. I'm glad you you mentioned the price because I have been trying to find a reasonably priced to, yeah, to, they're to not put it on my inexpensive. shelf. And, and every time someone brings it in, you know, it's a six bottle case. It's not a 12 bottle case. So it's easy to purchase, to, to put on a shelf. And the quality is there, but I just wish they priced it maybe one price point below champagne just to get people to accept it. So you're Be- looking for like a 1999 on the shelf? Or 20, 25 maybe 25 even because okay. I mean at 40 to 50, mm-hmm. why would people pick this if they have the Moe's or yeah. the Clicos. And I think that's really hard. I mean, it might be easier for the English market because they're like, okay, this is our own product. But over here in the States, I I, I think that price is the gateway for a lot of people. And we certainly saw this with Prosecco. You know, the, there were a gajillion, you know, $8 Proseccos out there. You don't see too many of those anymore. People now understand, you know, the prices have gone up over the last 20 years or so with Prosecco. So people are now comfortable with $12 a bottle. But to have a, a, a brand new wine from a place that nobody ever expects wine from and to have it coming in starting at $35 a bottle is pretty tough. Yeah. And and I don't think they should be in that Prosecco price range. I don't think they should be in the mid-level California sparkling price range, but to be in the actual champagne price range, I think is a marketing mistake. You're talking more hand sell or sommelier wine lists to get this in people's hands, where if you priced it right and put it on a shelf and say, hey, try English sparkling, it, it would probably sell. Mm-hmm. a lot better. Yep. Well, we'll we'll see in the, you know, next few years if there are changes to their marketing here in the US and maybe we're not really a prime market for them and that would explain why they're a little bit more expensive and we don't see too many of them, but maybe we'll see more going forward and the uh they might get that feedback from American consumers that this is not what we're willing to spend for this product and maybe it will be adjusted and we'll have a little bit more exposure to these wines because they really are delicious. Thank you for listening to us talk wine with you today. We've been your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone. You can get more information about our show on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine, and we look forward to talking with you again soon. Cheers. Cheers.